band. It's fantastic. Well, we're singing that. There's an army rising up, and I want to tell you what. There was an army that rose up here on Tuesday night of this week. That was an incredible time of those of you who were able to come and be a part of walking the wall on Tuesday night. And I want to thank you so much for your obedience in that issue of coming and having what must have been a hundred or more people out on the wall just walking and repairing the wall by faith, laying claim to the protection of God on this place, and what a difference it's already making. And so, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us last Tuesday. This coming Tuesday, as I told you last week, I'm going to start a six-week series of teachings called Discipleship Training 100, and it's devoted to helping you get the foundational uh, practices of being a Christian going in a healthy way in your life. If you, if you have never had that kind of help, if you did and it's all kind of jumbled away, then uh, you, should, you should sign up for that. You still can sign up for that today, but you do need to sign up so that we'll know how much stuff to make and how big a room to set up. And it doesn't matter to me how many sign up. I get paid the same either way. So uh, I just want you to be to know that you can come, and, 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 and some of you should not sign up. And the people who should not sign up are, for example, if, any, if, the, if, if these things are true of you, uh, I am consistently making a daily connection with God in my personal devotional life. Uh, second, I am fr- fa- uh, fruitfully reading my Bible with personal understanding. Uh, I am living in quality heart-to-heart relationships with brothers other brothers and sisters in Christ. I am consistently having victory over temptation in my life. I am consistently and joyfully entering into personal worship of God. I am actively sharing my faith with others. If all of those things are true of you, then, then don't sign up, all right? You're already, you're already ahead of the curve. So uh, you look up there and you can decide now whether or not you should be in discipleship training 100 on Thursday night, and you're saying, well, you know, uh, there's, there's uh, three of them are true and three of them are not. Can I come to those? No, absolutely not. You, you may not come. And uh, see, it's called Discipleship Training 100, which kind of tips you off that there might be a 200, right? And you're saying, well, I've got all of those going really well. I've never had 100, so I'll just wait and sign up for 200. No, you won't. You've got to take 100 to even know when 200 is going to be. We don't publicize that. We just, we just send messages out to the people who have completed 100, okay? So I don't know what more I can say to urge you to take the class. It's six consecutive Tuesday nights, uh, 75 minutes a class. And if you haven't signed up for the class and want to, you can do so on your way out at the welcome desk. At that welcome hello desk, there's a place for you to sign up. Okay, fantastic. Luke 19, 1 through 10. I love that passage. I love that passage that Eric read. I mean, Jesus, he's just on his way somewhere, right? He's going somewhere. And, and as he's going through, he passes through this town, and as he passes through, a crowd gathers. Isn't it incredible that in order to draw a crowd, all Jesus had to do was go somewhere, right? He just had to walk, and people start 
collecting around with him. And as he's going along, he passes through this town, and there was a, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. He wasn't a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And so he had tax collectors reporting to him. And, so, and it says that he was wealthy. So you have this wealthy guy who otherwise should be set for life. He sees that there's a crowd coming. He apparently learns that it's Jesus that's causing this crowd. And he wants to get a look at this Jesus he's surely heard about. And so being a short man, he climbs up into a tree so that he could see because he couldn't see over the crowd. He couldn't see over the crowd because he's short. Now that's never been a particular problem of mine. I've been able to see over pretty much any crowd I wanted to see over. And uh, I know a few years ago, Karen had saved up a bunch of money for several years and we took the whole family out to the Macy's Day Parade out in New York City and stayed in Manhattan. It was fantastic. And early Thanksgiving morning, very early, we got on the subway and we went down to Central Park area and we got, we started looking for a place that we could watch the parade. Well, we were there at like six o'clock and they were already like five people deep, right? And so we stood where we got as close as we could. Now, it was no problem for me at all. I could see the whole parade as it all went by. But what I had to do was keep reporting to Karen what she was, what she was not seeing. Now, every once in a while, like underdog would go and she'd go, oh, I see that. And I'd say, well, it's the band from wherever, and it's pretty cool. And I've never had the problem of Zacchaeus of being able to see over the crowd. Now, maybe, maybe from a pastoral perspective, Pastor Christian will be able to bring more light, more personal context to that when it's, when it's his turn to speak from this passage. I've never had that problem. I love this passage so much. I just love it. I, it always reminds me, though, of when I was a new pastor. Now, you have to understand something. I was not only a new, brand new pastor at this point, I was a pretty new Christian. This is so weird and crazy to think back on. But I, many of you know my story. I wasn't really raised in the church and really didn't get serious about Jesus Christ in my life until about age 19. And then age 19, I'm in college, finished college, felt like I was called to be a pastor is the shortened version of the story. So I went to seminary, which is a three-year master's program. So two years into the master's program, I was assigned to a church in Fort Wayne. So I'm 23 years old. I've been a Christian for four years, and I'm the pastor of the church. It seemed okay then, but in retrospect, it's like, was, and was no one thinking about this? Man, this is, is this a recipe for failure for everyone, or what? So here I am, I'm assigned to this church where every person on this the board of this church had been on the board longer than I'd been on the planet, right? Oh my gosh, I'm 23 years old, and I remember I was preaching from this very passage one time, and I was so excited, and I said, you know, I love this passage, you know, because I was a little more, you know, I had probably had my robe on then, it was a different kind of church than this, and and, and here's, here's how the message kind of rolled. It said, And Nicodemus heard that Jesus was about to pass by. 
Nicodemus heard that Jesus was coming his way. Nicodemus, being a man of short stature, needed to find an elevated position from which he could view the Savior. So Nicodemus climbed up in the sick. Now remember, I didn't grow up on the Bible stories, right? And I'm saying, so Nicodemus, Karen is sitting in the front row going, Zacchaeus. When you don't grow up with it, it's not there, is it, yet? So she promptly took me home that afternoon, her house in Fort Wayne, and taught me a song. Some of you may know it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed our motion in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted. Thank you, Megan. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down here, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus and Nicodemus were two entirely different people, as it turns out in the Bible. So Zacchaeus is the guy in question here and climbs up in the tree and he sees Jesus. Jesus stops. Can you, can you imagine what that was like for him? I mean, he's, he's up in the tree. He can see him. And then he sees that the crowd is coming toward his tree. <laughs> right? He's either thinking, man, I'm going to get a really good look at this guy or whatever. And the crowd comes and stops in front of the tree. Can you imagine? And then Jesus looks up. And he says, Zacchaeus. Guys, I didn't even know my name. I didn't even know my name. He said, come down here. For I'm, I'm going to your house today. You're the one I was looking for. You're the one I was searching for. So he goes to this tax collector's house, right? And the people start going, what's he doing going to a tax collector's house? No self-respecting rabbi would have ever gone to a tax collector's house. But Jesus, after Zacchaeus makes this statement of repentance, Jesus says, this is great. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. In, it, in this whole encounter, Jesus makes one of the most helpfully clear statements for me in the Bible that he tells us exactly what he was doing. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This tells us by his own words exactly what Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was doing here. He came to seek and to save the lost. Did he come to utter great teachings? Perhaps, but his primary mission was to seek and to save the lost. Did he come and demonstrate the power of miracles? Perhaps, but his primary, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. How many of you know John 3.16? How many of you know John 3.17? 
where it says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That the primary purpose of Jesus Christ coming into the world was to save us. Now by extension then, this also tells us in Jesus' own words that we, as the body of Christ then, that our primary purpose for being the church in the world today is to present the gospel to lost humanity in such a way that they will be saved. Jesus was on a search and rescue mission. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Today, Pastor Christian and I are launching a five-part series of teachings entitled Search and Rescue. It is our hope over these five teachings to accomplish exactly two things and only two things. One is to give every person in this room the opportunity to know with absolute certainty that you are securely grounded in a redemptive relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no reason that anybody should doubt that. If you've come to know Christ as your Savior, you should not have to live in a, in a state of doubt or wonder. Now, I can't, I can't tell by looking at a person whether they are truly saved or not. But I would sense that in a group of this size, there are people who are not. There are people, some of you, who are still thinking about it. And thinking about it doesn't save you. Considering it doesn't get it done. And so our prime, one of our purposes is to be absolutely certain that everyone who comes in our hearing would have the confidence and the assurance of eternal life through what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. That's the first thing. Is that all right? The second thing is to equip and inspire every person in this room to bear the gospel message to the people in your world. That's our second motivation, our second goal is to inspire every single one of you to rise up, receive your authority, and to bear the gospel message to the people in your world with effectiveness. Lord, I pray that you'll come and cause this to be true. I pray, Lord, that, that you'll come and you'll take hold of the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our minds and would cause this to be true, that every person in this fellowship, every person who parks their car here, would know with certainty that they have encountered salvation through the cross of Christ. And I pray that every single one of us, in that certainty, would hear your call to be wit bear witness to the gospel in the world in which you placed us, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start the mess of the series with a message, what are you doing here? All the messages are going to come from this passage, Luke 19, 1 through 10. There's so much here, but we're going to start in verse 10. What are you doing here? Jesus couldn't have been more clear. Let's read it together. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's what Jesus was doing here. Now, I'm a person who historically has been able to do difficult and sacrificial things if I am clear about one thing, why am I doing it? Why am I doing it? Uh, if I know that, 
I can, I, can, I can get in there, I can work hard, I can make the sacrifice, I can be consistent if I know that. Now when I lose sight of that, why am I doing this? Then I begin to shrink back. So I think this whole thing, the search and rescue mentality, begins with an understanding of the primary purpose of Jesus Christ in the world. That he came to seek and to save what was lost. That all begins absolutely right here. And by extension then, we know what we're doing here, correct? Because we are the body of Christ. That by extension, then Jesus is counting on us to present the gospel so clearly and effectively under his power, in his spirit, so that people have opportunity to be saved. In Matthew chapter 28 Jesus said to his disciples, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the clear purpose of Jesus and the clear purpose of the church. Now, let's talk about what it means to declare the gospel, because the message of the gospel is very clear. It's just about turning on light. See, we live in a world of darkness and it's about turning on light. When you turn on the light of Christ through the Scripture as your authority, then you understand three things. First, that humanity is born into a state of separation from God. Here's the problem. Here's why this needs to happen. is because humanity is born into a fallen state. Born into a state of separation from God. It's universal. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are universally born into a generation of sin. You're a sinner. And you're a sinner because your parents were sinners. You know why they were sinners? Because of their parents and their parents and Adam and Eve. That's why we're born into a generation of sin and a state of separation from God. This is not a judgment on people's behavior in the way that it sometimes comes off. It is an announcement of the truth of a condition is that we are born into a state of separation. And secondly, God loves us and has provided clear opportunity for our rescue through the cross of Jesus Christ. That in spite of the fact that we are sinners separated from God, he still loves us. Hello? He still loves us and has provided a clear opportunity for our rescue to save us from our predicament. And it's through the cross of Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his perfect payment for our sins. And the third bit of light that we're called to proclaim is that each person must make a personal and purposeful entry into this relationship with God through Jesus Christ in order to be counted as part of the redeemed. Each person must make a personal and purposeful entry into this relationship. It doesn't just happen. Eric, you made a decision. The Holy Spirit was on you. The Holy Spirit drew you. And you came to a point of surrender and agreement, confession, and a release of your faith. And at that point, brother, you entered into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did on the cross was made effective for you. And the Bible says that your name was written in the Lamb's book of life on that day. And it wasn't before, but it is now. 
And this is the light that we are meant to turn, turn on. How did Jesus do this? We have to say this again and again. Jesus did this through the cross. Jesus did this not by being able to do miracles or say wonderful things or even raise the dead himself. Jesus did this by voluntarily giving his perfect life on the cross. And that was the perfect payment for this to occur. So this is the message that we're meant to proclaim to the world. That doesn't seem too tough, does it? Could you, do you think you could memorize three things? I mean, that doesn't seem... You've seen it perhaps shown in different ways, but this is a way of looking at it. This is the message. This is the light that we are meant to turn on. It seems straightforward enough, right? There's a problem, though. Jesus said that men loved darkness more than they loved light. And so there's a problem in our culture with, with, with proclaiming this simple truth of the gospel. I think there are a number of problems, but the two biggest problems, the first one is subjectivism. Subjectivism, everyone has their own truth which is valid to their own worlds, is kind of the way our culture goes. By definition, subjectivism is the doctrine that knowledge is merely subjective and that there's no external or objective truth. So in other words, Vlad, you have your truth, I have my truth, la-di-da. And who can say one person's truth is above another person's truth? And you encounter this, don't you, when you share the gospel. People say things like, well, I'm glad you found what you're looking for. I, on the other hand, this is my way. This is my truth. Who are you to come and tell me that I need to come into faith relationship with Jesus Christ? So happy that you've found your way. Now leave me the heck alone, right? You've heard something like that. The Bible says, the problem with subjectivism is that the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. It seems right. And it would be great, wouldn't it, if we could say, as long as you're sincere in your truth, you're going to be good? But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible comes at us as absolute truth as non-negotiable truth. And as believers, we are bound to it. Subjectivism is a result of man thinking that he is a God unto himself. When, when a man elevates himself to the position of this is my truth, and the truth of the Bible is not relevant to my truth, that man elevates himself above God. That's pretty risky. And in doing so, we remove ourselves from any obligation to absolute truth. So that's one of the obstacles that we face in declaring the gospel to today's world. The other obstacle is pluralism. By definition, pluralism is a condition in which two or more religions or sources of authority coexist with equal validity. It's plural. Sure, you're a Christian. Wonderful. Sure. Many different religions of the world are equally valid, says a pluralistic point of view. All roads lead to Rome. And so you're, you hesitate sharing the gospel because you can't, you can't live in judgment of people who, who seem sincere in their other religions. I don't live in judgment of anybody. I'm just announcing what the Word says. 
John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is either true or it's not true. And if it's not true, we should be playing golf this morning. Something better than golf in my case, but that's either true or it's not true. Beloved, I believe it's true. Acts 4.12, the Bible says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Jesus Christ. It's an exclusive truth. And you may say, but I don't like that. I know some people of other religions who are really nice. Granted, if I could share a secret with you, I don't particularly like it either. It complicates things, doesn't it? I don't like it at all. But whether I like it or not doesn't change the fact that it's true. So what do we do? We've got this pluralism. We've got this subjectivism. Well, this is all settled through a surrender to the veracity of the Word of God. By that I mean, when you surrender that the Bible is true, then those two things go out the window for you. It doesn't go out the window for the people you're trying to reach. But you've got to, you've got to pitch those things out of your window if you're ever going to be effective in proclaiming the gospel. And you have to surrender to the fact that God's in charge and this is the way God said it. I was thinking of it this way this week. If you're a gunner on a naval destroyer giving cover to ground troops, then you might be struck with a number of questions. Like, who am I killing? Who am I to say that my way of life is better than my enemy's way of life? You might be struck with questions as you load those massive charges into the cannons and fire them off into oblivion with pinpoint accuracy. So you're filled with questions. But in reality, you have surrendered to the chain of command that tells you when and where to fire your weapon. And it's perfectly okay to have questions, beloved, but at the end of the day, the Bible is the Word of God and is the ultimate expression of God's authority in my life. So Jesus came and said he came to seek and save the lost. That's what he's doing here. Couldn't be any more clear. Since we're the body of Christ, that's what we're doing here. Since you, believers, are a member of the body of Christ, that's what you are doing here. That you have been placed as an ambassador for Christ in a very specific world. There are people all, all around you. And we're going to spend some time focusing on those people and the rescue, the search and rescue for those people. You know, I was thinking that when a Coast Guard crew leaves their base in a chopper to go to the aid of a sinking vessel, they have one clear purpose in mind. Find and save the people. They don't care at all about the vessel. Just the people. I fear that the American church has got caught up so much in 
the vessel. The vessel. Perhaps unwittingly at times even made to attract other believers from other vessels. We're on a search and rescue mission. The vessel doesn't matter. And what vessel the people we reach doesn't matter. This is not a church growth campaign. There are already too many of you for me to think about. I'm serious. (laughs) The best thing that could happen would be 300 of you would go and start a new church somewhere else. I'm talking about people's eternal lives. What vessel they wind up on. There are a lot of good vessels in this city. Wonderful places for people to come and find life in Christ. But somebody's got to go fetch them out of the water, right? That's what this is about. I think it can seem overwhelming at times to think about being used by God to present the gospel to everyone in the world. But what if we dropped back and just started asking God to use each of us to present his gospel to someone in the world? Just somebody. When you look up at the picture, you're either the rescuer coming down or you're the poor folks trapped in the water. You've either come to Christ or you haven't. If you've come to Christ, if you know Jesus is Savior and Lord of your life, then you are the rescuer. Every one of us. And I'm just wondering if now you could, you could just ask God, what name would you like to give me of somebody that I know? Not, not all the people I know. But is there somebody you want to put on my mind right now that I want to make the object of my prayer, my attention throughout this series? Maybe, maybe you don't know if they are a Christian. Well, that would be a happy discovery if they are, huh? Maybe you say, well, I don't think I can judge them. You're not judging them. You're inquiring. You're inquiring about where they are with the Lord. We're going to talk about how to do that in this series. Right now, this morning, I just want you to do this one thing, and, and that's all, and just say, Lord, could you put the name of somebody on my heart that I could hold in prayer and then follow your leading throughout the course of these next five weeks. Just somebody. Some of you already have somebody, don't you? Raise your hand if you have somebody. I'd just like to see. You have about two-thirds. I'd like for you to pray for them now. Just start praying for them. Pray for them tomorrow. Pray for them on Tuesday and Wednesday. And third, I don't know if you see how this is playing out. Well, would you just lift them up in prayer every day? You know, you're not really the evangelist, as it turns out. It's the Holy Spirit, and you're just used as a vessel of his saving power.
Could you just bring somebody to mind? I got a little head start on this, and I'm, I, I'm kind of surprised the person that God brought to my mind. I'm, I had somebody else in mind. <laughs> but I'm going with his choice. Father, right now, would you reveal to every heart here somebody, somebody to care about in this way, somebody to pray for in this way. Come, Lord. Would you move in our hearts this name and put it on our refrigerator, our mirror, on the screen of our phone or somewhere where we just always just be lifting this person up in prayer. Holy Spirit, reveal this to us. It's your church, it's your rescue, it's your gospel, it's your love. Lord, this whole concept of sharing this gospel can be terrifying to some. And so, can we just start by saying all we're going to do is just pray for these people. Just Can we just start here and see where it goes? We're just going to pray. I want to offer an invitation for ministry for two particular people. I'd like to offer invitation to anyone here today who hasn't yet come to Christ and you're, you're feeling like today's the day to do that. And I'm going to ask Pastor Christian to come on up over here and he'll be up here ready to pray pray with you if you haven't. If you're just saying today's the day you want to come to Christ, come right on up. I'd like to invite another group up just to make a pile in the middle here and you would be people who say, I want to be emboldened for sharing the gospel. Um, I want to be strong in that. I want to want to raise my hand and say, Lord, would you empower me, embolden me, anoint me, equip me to bring the gospel to lost people in the world. So as we sing, you guys can come up here and pray with you together. We stand together, church.